Hey, everybody. Welcome to Spin is a Four-Letter Word, the Maroon PR podcast, all things public relations, media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, joining me today is our chief operating officer. i got to get used to that. It's a new new title, yeah, chief operating right. officer. Last time I was on, it was a different title. That's right. Jen Renahan. Hello, Jen. Hello. And our silent yet deadly producer, Brittany Everett. Hi, Britt. Hi. Golf that clap. was her voice in the background, golf clap. <laughs> Funny you mentioned golf clap. We just <laughs> completed the, the uh, BMW championship. An honor, a thrill. Mm-hmm. Baltimore stepped up in a big way. It showed great on TV. The tournament was amazing. And I'm really proud of the work our team did and, and thankful to the Western Golf Association and the PGA Tour for trusting us this year and next year when it's in Wilmington, Delaware. It's a nice segue. Today's mm-hmm. guest is going to be John Minadakis. Most of you know that name. John is the co-owner of Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore. He and his brother Tony took it over from his dad when his dad passed, Jimmy, and uh, have made it an iconic brand. And they've done that through community outreach, through social media, through um, just doing the right thing mm-hmm. and, and building a building a business. And, and I think our conversation with John is thorough. It could have gone on much longer, <laughs> but we wanted to spare him. Um, it touches on a lot of things. Yeah, and I think, you know, it all kind of goes back to what we pride ourselves on as relationships and hard work. And if you do those things right, you're going to be successful. And I think what you'll hear that from John and everything that they do is kind of built around, you know, just working hard, being themselves, being authentic, and forming great relationships and keeping those relationships going. Well, I think you'll enjoy it. Thank you again for downloading and listening and uh, continue to give us a follow at Maroon PR. And without further ado, John Minadakis, Jimmy's Famous Seafood. As we mentioned in the open, we are thrilled to have a friend and somebody who has just turned the restaurant and hospitality industry on its ear. Um, John Minadakis, uh, he and his brother Tony own and operate Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore. Um, Jimmy's was originally started back in 1974 by Demetrios, who known as Jimmy, um, their dad, and they have been running the show um, for a number of years now and really doing some unique things in the marketing space and the partnership space, and they're known across the country now, but if you are in Baltimore, you certainly know Jimmy's, and you spend a lot of time there, and they, uh, side note, make incredible, incredible seafood. So, John Minadakis, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Thank you. So, John, before we jump in and I want to kind of talk about everything you got going on today, I just kind of mentioned that your dad started the restaurant in 1974. Can you just talk a little bit about the history and how that happened and, you know, the evolution to your and Tony's roles? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, him being an immigrant uh, from Greece and just not knowing the language and just coming from, you know, such a unique and humbling story, it just keeps us grounded. And, you know, as we mentioned before we came on air, you know, we, we do have the luxury and, and the privilege of going back to the village where he was raised every summer. And it just really puts things into perspective for us. And wearing his name uh, on our polo shirts every day and having his name on the sign outside. And basically everywhere you look, it's his name. So uh, it's a constant reminder of why you're doing this and, you know, um, who you're representing. And just the, the leaps and bounds that, you know, one man's family has taken. So, uh, you know, we never let our, our heads get too big. And we always remember where we came from because he started that place. Uh, it was just a bar and a carryout. 
and you know to, to see you know where it is now uh, I don't think even he imagined that yeah, well, look, I'm sure he is smiling every day, looking down on you guys and just blown away by it. It, it blows everybody away. And it's funny, I saw Demetrios, Jimmy, um, you know, my grandpa came over from Aleppo, Syria, kind of same sort of thing. And his name was Shakib, and somehow they named him John. And he went by John his whole life. So I, I guess that happened back in the day. But, uh, hey, and John, talking about a little bit about um, it started with your pop and your mom and your family, but the, your commitment to community is remarkable. I mean, you guys give back so much. Most recently and most noteworthy, I think, that people around here know is the famous fund, saving restaurants that were failing during the pandemic. Talk a little bit about your overarching um, community commitment. Why Why is that so important to you guys? Uh, you know, we get asked that a lot, John, and I, I kind of give the same two answers. And the first one is obviously, as I mentioned, my father and you know, he was always indebted to the community and he kind of beat that into our heads because for this community to accept him I mean, they didn't have to, uh, yeah, they, they literally gave him everything that he had and it was important to him that we give everything that we have back too, and just make it known to them how much we appreciate it. So part one is definitely my father and the way that he raised us. Uh, part two is my high school and my middle school, which was Loyola Blakefield, uh, teaching us, you know, the Ignatian values and to be men for others and to live our lives that way. And I think, you know, those two things definitely have a synergy. I think he recognized that, uh, you know, when he was looking at schools to put us into, and I think that's what hit home with him. And uh, it's, it still carries with us to this day. So it definitely did the trick, so to speak, because he would always remind us that, and it's true, you know, your teachers and your school, uh, they see you more than I see you. And that's especially true if you're playing sports or if you're in any clubs after school, if you think about it, you know, your parents see you for, gosh, I don't know, two hours a day during the week, uh, not including your sleep schedule. So it's very important that they, you know, leave you in good hands. And that's why they work so hard to be able to afford the tuitions for those places. Yeah, that's great. And it, look, it, it makes sense and it resonates. Um, You know, not only is you supportive of so many nonprofits, I mean, I've, I've almost never seen you say no to anybody, uh, you know, from Signal 13 Foundation to helping the Ripken Foundation to O.J. Brigance and his team to, you know, you name it, to, to Mo Gabba. And it, the stuff you guys have done is remarkable, um, which kind of leads me a little bit into partnerships. Uh, you know, in the, in the last, it seems like it's really come on more significantly in the last couple of years. You know, all of a sudden you guys are official partners of the Baltimore Ravens. I know you guys shared a photo out of your dad and your, and, and Tony out of the Ravens game back in the day and like where, where it started, where it, where it is. And, you know, today you're partners with the Ravens. And, you know, most recently you and I worked together on, on making sure Jimmy's was part of the amazing BMW championship that came to Caves Valley. So you're spreading your wings there. Can you talk a little bit about why that was important to you and, and, and how that plays into your business model? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's still pretty surreal, John, I'll be honest. You know, it's when you're in the tunnel and, you know, when you're in the trenches, you kind of don't really get a chance to look at what you're, you're doing. You know, it's uh, not till you get a minute to yourself. Like I had to recently when I was in Greece to see how far you've come. And, you know, for these amazing brands to come to you, um, it's just, I still can't believe it. I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, going back to, you know, when you and Cal came down, um, to talk about teaming up with the Ironbirds to the Ravens reaching out to the nationals reaching out to BMW reaching out. It's like, you know, you kind of look around and you're like, who me? Because, <laughs> you know, we're just doing what we've always done. And that's just, 
you know, work hard, treat people with respect and try to do it again the next day. And I guess consistency pays off. And it's weird. It's like a weird, um, you don't know which side of um, the fence you're on. Is it hard work consistency pays off or is it the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing every day, right? Right, right. And, you know, and to that, it's like, I guess everybody has to make their own decision there because I think everybody, when when they're in the trenches, they can definitely feel a breakthrough coming. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. I think everybody can agree on that. Um, so it's like uh, we obviously love the partnerships uh, to have our father's name, you know, in Raven Stadium uh, at the PGA Tour at Cal Ripken Stadium. You know, it's like, and as you mentioned, we would go to the you know, the Ravens game with my father, you know, we would go to the Orioles game with my father and watch Cal. We were there for 21-31 together. And, you know, to be partners with him, you know, 15, 20 years later, it's just very humbling. And it just makes you want to work even harder. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you're very, very humble, but the hard work surely is what, what's led you to, to create these great partnerships and grow your own brand. Um, to that end, you know, I think, you know, working in Baltimore over the years, I worked at the National Aquarium um, in social media. So uh, PETA is something that is has uh, been in my career path along the way. And for me, and um, really ingrained in social media, I kind of, I took a, a notice to you guys, you know, as you were making a statement and really using your social media um, in a way that, that local brands have never really done it before. You see some national brands um being vocal and having fun on social and really using it as a conversation but here locally you guys were kind of the first to to really um you know let your personalities be known and really grasp social and use it in a fun um and sometimes controversial way um but it's really paid off for you so i'd love to kind of hear your perspective on that yeah and and the, and the authenticity of it all yeah. right i mean um, yes. it is, it that, is your your yeah personality shines yeah. through and, and it's really unique and cool you kind of answered everything for me just now to be honest with you you know i think first and foremost i think any business anywhere uh whether it's you know the hospitality industry or whether you have an office job uh you take on the identity of your owner mm -hmm. and it was a no-brainer for us with PETA and with other things along the way too and um the authenticity john that you just spoke of you know when we work with athletes and we work with celebrities they always ask us, like, how do you want to do this? And I, my answer is always, like, I just want it to be organic. I don't want to give you, you know, a script. I don't mm -hmm. want to give you a deadline. I don't want to give you a request. If you want to post it, post it. If you don't, don't. Because people are smarter than people than, than brands think. And they can smell BS, as I always say. Yep. I want it to be real. And if it's not going to be real, I'd rather not even put it up there. Because I think it's damaging to the brand. And you have to be consistent brand-wise as well. And... Uh, you know, locally, as you mentioned, I, I, I think people play it safe a little too much. And I think there's definitely a time to play it safe. But, mm -hmm. you know, when your livelihood's being attacked in the same way that it was when PETA came here and attacked in the crab industry, I think, you know, the gloves have to come off. And I do believe um, that people could that complain about your product 99.9% .9 of the time when they were going to buy it anyway. Right. And I think especially on social media and, and to be specific, Twitter. Uh, people don't realize what a small percentage of the country in the region yes. use Twitter. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, you know, while Twitter is an echo chamber, um, you shouldn't let it get you down too much. And you definitely mm -hmm. shouldn't let it get to your head too much. Uh, because, you know, I can remember 
many tweets that went viral in a positive fashion. And I would show up to work the next day thinking they were going to be beating down the doors and lining up to come in. And it was just business as usual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it really shows you that there are there are so many elements to branding and marketing and publicizing yourself. Twitter is just one very small. Social media is one small part of it. And we, we preach that here all the time with our clients. Yeah, it's not going to be a magic bullet for you at yeah. all. It's a, it, to your point, yeah. John, it's an echo chamber. But you need to handle yourself authentically. And I think, you know, the gen, the genuine way that Jimmy's is presented through you and your brother and all the things you do makes people want to go to Jimmy's, makes people want to support Jimmy's and makes you feel really comfortable when you're there. That is not an easy thing to achieve. That's just, and that really comes from being real and being, being your true selves. Um, I did want to, and we won't keep you too much longer, John, but I did want to ask you a couple of questions about um, just staying on top of things and being, being so much in the mainstream. So like, Triple D, you know, your brother and you, you've created this relationship with um, Guy Fieri over the years, and he's been at the place a, a few times. I mean, that seems to have been a big deal for every place he's visited. Um, how did that relation co- relationship come to be, and, and what makes him keep coming back? I mean, you guys clearly have gotten to know him a little bit. Um, I mean, my brother is just, that's his idol. So um, that's his hero. So... Uh, I think that it, it, I think it resonates with Guy. I think he, he, and my brother always makes it very clear to him um, the, the impact that he's had on our lives. Uh, I, I equate being on Triple D frequently to winning the Super Bowl is just something that it'll change your life, and then they what it can never take away from you, and it'll kind of put you on the map. And any time that I walk the parking lot, um, I see the plates from you know North Carolina and New York and Tennessee, and it's just very humbling. And I know that it's because of Guy. I. You know, I know it's not just because we have a good product. It's because he, he put that product on the national stage, and it just became a snowball effect after that, John. Um, you know, to answer your, your previous question, you know, staying on top, as everybody knows, it's it's easy uh, in comparison to get there and just stay there. And yeah. I saw a couple of NFL players tweeting about that yesterday, that it, it humbles them when they see mm-hmm. their teammates getting cut and that they never forget how hard it is to stay there how much work you got to put in to stay there. And I think complacency is in our biggest enemy in our industry. Um, and my brother has that challenge every day mm-hmm. when he works on the menu because we have the older customers that came when my father mm-hmm. was still alive that want, you know, the stuffed hard crab and the crab fluff and items that might not sell as much. And you still have to be innovative and creative and, and keep moving forward and keep giving the people that are coming back every single week to support you something new to try. And it's 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 a challenge, but it's it's the uh, thrill and the excitement of our job. And you know, when that doesn't uh, excite us anymore, I suppose it'll be time to step away. <laughs> um, kind of building on your thought about athletes and and how you work so closely, and you've done you do such a great job interacting and building great relationships with athletes. Um, have you guys entered into the name, image, and likeness space with college athletes? Have you explored or have you had college athletes knocking down your door yet to partner with you? We have, yes. We were. That was very important to me because I'm actually a huge college sports fan, um, more so than I am a pro sports fan. So when I saw this coming down the pipeline, I knew I wanted to associate our brand with certain athletes and certain um, stories because the college stories are very, very unique and, and um, we can really highlight them a lot more. They don't have the platform um, mm-hmm. that the pro athletes do for the most part. So 
you know, the first day that the rule came down, we signed Armando Baycott, uh, the center from UNC. Yep. Uh, we've signed Rakeem Jarrett from Maryland since then. Uh, the list goes on and on. Dawson Garcia. We have a couple more coming. And, you know, I'll say that it's uh, it's very exciting because it's so new that these kids are so appreciative. And it's beautiful. Like, for example, this past Sunday, uh, you know, we had our staff drive three hours down to Virginia to provide lunch for Armando's basketball camp, which we would not have been able to do three months ago. So, yeah. you know, I think it's long overdue. Uh, I, you know, there definitely will be sharks and there will be people abusing the system. Sure. And that will be addressed, I'm sure. But uh, for now, with it being such a new space, I think it's exciting. And it's a great way, you know, for you to get your brand out there while these bigger corporations, these Nikes and these Adidas, are trying to figure out their strategy for it since it came so suddenly. That's great. Well, I'm glad you've, you've spread your wings and it's not just UNC guys you're going after. <laughs> yeah, my brother, uh, he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I love it. And, uh, and John, I know community we talked about earlier and how engaged you guys are in the community. The one even smaller community that I find is incredibly tight knit and close is the Greek community, especially in the food space. And, you know, just last week you were up at uh, the BMW championship and I hope that was a great experience for you. But, you know, when we were putting that all together and working with the Western Golf Association, you immediately was like, hey, I want to bring Greek on the street with me. And they came up and, you know, I saw the lines there and it was gratifying. And then I know you also, you know, right around the corner from you is uh, the Costas Inn. And, um, you know, and, and, and they're good good folks and a, another family that, you know, basically does the same thing you guys do, but you're supportive of each other. Um, tell us a little bit about that, that whole kind of Greek foodie universe and how you guys know each other and get along and support each other. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is a real simple, John. I think that it's one of the few industries that our parents and our grandparents were able to get into when they came here. Um, you know, not like I said, not being able to speak the language, not having, you know, educations for the most part. Right. You know, I know that I can make this burger for three dollars and sell it for six, and put three dollars in my pocket, and you know, I can put a smile on my face, and I can I can show people uh, what Greek hospitality is all about. And at the end of the day, I'll, I'll pick up my head. And hopefully I have, you know, a couple of dollars saved up. And the other industry that they got into was the painting industry. It's just they had very limited options then. And uh, for them to pass it on to us, it's, you know, a blessing. And we just have to keep it evolving and to make them proud because I'm sure everybody's very familiar with uh, second and third generation uh, restaurants. They fail over 90 percent of the time. Uh, you know, but one day are Greek owned. They tend not to fail because you don't want to let down your ancestors and your parents and your grandparents. And right. uh, we all support each other. We don't see each other as much as we like to because we're working so much. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just one big family. And, uh, you know, especially here in Baltimore, it is. Uh, most restaurants that are great have a Greek tie to them. Yeah. Um, and it's something we take a lot of pride in. And I think it's not just the food, it's the experience and it's being welcomed and, you know, these huge portions and, going home with these, you know, enormous bags and <laughs> seeing the owner there with the sleeves rolled up. I mm -hmm. think it's, it's very something, you know, charming and something that we take a lot of pride in. Um, and one last question for you, John. How are things right now, you know, with the industry and um, you guys doing anything different or um, are you seeing restaurants bouncing back? I know right now it's, um, you know, hiring is a challenge. So just curious of kind of how you're battling through that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because, um, we're evolving and um 
gosh, you know, going back to the famous one, that was a major mm-hmm. reason why we decided to start it because, you know, I'm 38 now and I'm having problems with TikTok, for example. And I knew that the time would come where the industry and uh, knowing what's hip and what's in would pass me by and that I would have to lean on somebody for assistance. And when I was seeing these 55 and 60 year old restaurateurs that have been doing this thing their entire life, that don't know how to use Facebook, that don't have a carry out, you know, built mm-hmm. in to their structure, that don't have a food truck that they can send out there, that can't send their product across the country like we could. I knew we had to step in and help them out. Uh, you know, we were doing Zoom calls with the Maryland Restaurant Association and, mm-hmm. and you know, just seeing them in tears and, and worried about if they were going to be open the next day. I knew we had to do something. So uh, to answer your question, it's just about evolution right now. Uh, yeah. I think. I don't think things will ever be back to the way they were. I think there will always be a stigma attached to restaurants now uh, because we were among the first companies and the first industries that were shut down. Um, and people are always going to feel unsafe uh, as long as COVID's out there eating at a restaurant, unfortunately. But, you know, you have to make that up, whether it's in carryout or whether it's in, uh, you know, doing nationwide shipping or, or doing a mm-hmm. food truck. It's, and that's up to you as an owner. Uh, and that's the challenge. And uh, I think the good ones will definitely step up and unfortunately you know, some people will be left back uh it's just the name of the game and it's a tough business uh any of my friends that tell me they want to open a restaurant i advise them not to i tell them all the time and <laughs> we see it with pro athletes all the time right um mm-hmm. they try to open up restaurants and right. they tend to fail because pro athletes uh you know they're used to being the best every single day um putting their best foot forward and doing it better than anybody else and expecting great results. Uh, when you're in the restaurant industry, you know, weather becomes a factor, staffing becomes a factor, and so many things out of your control become a factor. And even though your heart is pure and you're doing the best you can, it's far from everything you need. Yeah, it is true. And, you know, God bless all the restaurants that are out there, and hopefully they're going to start rebounding and people get back to work and we can get some back to some sense of normalcy around here. But, John, thank you. Um, I could talk to you for an hour, right? We didn't even touch on <laughs> Toys for Tots and all the other things doing the community. We didn't talk at length about the BMW Championship. I, I'm hopeful that you enjoyed that experience and might might be up for it again next year up in Wilmington. Um, but thank you. Uh, congratulations on all the success. Uh, as somebody who lives here for a long time now, we are honored that you're part of our community. We're fortunate you're part of our community. And thanks to you, Tony, and everybody at Jimmy's. Well, thanks for having me, John. Thanks for all your help along the way, making BMW happen. Yeah, I mean, real quick, it was amazing. It was very humbling to, to get our brand out there on national stage. And if they want us back next year in Delaware, we'd be more than happy uh, to take our crap kings up there. Fantastic. John Minidakis, uh, co-owner of Jimmy's Famous Seafood. John, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Spin is a Four-Letter Word. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe. Send us your feedback, too. We want this to be interesting for everybody. And give us a follow, at Maroon PR on Twitter and LinkedIn.